Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. Welcome to a very special edition of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. And it's not because there's a really important golf tournament going on at the moment. It's because we're going to try and do some demystifying today. Uh, firstly, let me let me introduce my my old pal, Langdon Dement. Hey, buddy. How are you? I noticed you're wearing blue today. Very convenient. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I've put the color on especially for you. I knew what you Katrina doesn't know. We'll fill her in in a moment, but I knew what you were doing. Hopefully, by the time this comes out. That blue will be eradicated and pointless because the U.S. will be on top. All I'm going to say is the leadership, the leaderboard is looking incredibly blue at the moment, mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indubitably, everyone. Sorry, we're talking about golf. The Ryder Cup is presently going on during this recording even. So that's what we're talking about. Katrina, sorry, we'll, we'll fill you in. But that's having a little golf jargon. The, there's a big part of me being cautious here because it's only day one. Yeah. It's only just after lunch, and whilst there's been a great start from the the most important team in the in the tournament, um, it's early days. Yep. Yeah, you can't you can't brag early. 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 That is the kiss. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only hope it truly is. You've got to save the um, discussions till after the fact. Yeah. Yes. And I can say that I can say that with absolute certainty after my football team was was handed an eight nil drubbing last weekend. We don't you don't need to revisit that. No, no, let's move on quickly. Let's move on quickly. <laughs> yeah. He left a he left a football match early. It was a dark day. Look at Katrina's husband. I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks. It was a very dark day. I've never ever left a game of football early. And I left I left I think with uh, over thirty minutes to go. So that that kind of gives you a clue as to how bad it was. That's bad. That happened with the primetime game. Well, there's this football team and the coach is called Coach Primetime. Have you guys, Deion Sanders, Colorado? Sure. Hey, hey, I ain't hard to find. <laughs> yes. I want to get that sweatshirt. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, everybody was like rooting for them, I feel like. I didn't think Oregon was that much of a better team. Um, but they definitely did lose like a humbling defeat. Um, some people are saying there was foul play now that, you know, plays were leaked. I don't know, but the game was stunning as always, but he's very much a showman, but a lot of, there was a lot of bragging before the game. And then there was this humbling defeat. And I was like, mm, got to brag after, got to brag after. Do you remember Deion Sanders, Jules? Do you remember him from the mid nineties? No. Deion Sanders, really? Man, I... See, I, see, I think, I think what we've just done here, Langdon, is we've, we've had a conversation where, I've talked about football, so so most of the American audience have not got a clue what we're talking about. You two guys have just talked about some kind of American sport, so the European audience has no idea what we're talking about. So I think we should just move on, yeah? And they're also saying, and, and the audience is also saying, who, who's this strange lady who's here with the two bald guys as well? So we should maybe <laughs> introduce uh, Katrina. Um, so hi, Katrina. I'm going to get you to say a bit more in a moment. But first of all, I just wanted to introduce our subject. And our subject for today, um, we're going to talk about CSRD and we're going to talk about ESG. 
So it's going to be acronym central here uh, for the next few minutes as we keep throwing more at you. So ESRS is another one. EFRAG is another one. Um, we've, we've got lots of acronyms that we're going to throw at you. B O. Pardon? I'm just throwing more acronyms out. Sorry. Okay. Um, so I think the first thing I'd, I'd say is that myself and Langdon wouldn't hold ourselves up as any kind of experts in this field. So we thought we'd better bring an expert along to try and help us out. And and I think the whole point of today is let's try and demystify some of this terminology, some of the requirements and some of the acronyms, and hopefully make it a bit clearer in terms of understanding what's happening in that whole world of sustainability and ESG. So Katrina Jackson, it's great to have you on the podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? You've got a little song. You could even sing your song if you wanted to. Oh, I can sing my song. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> Give me a little bit. First ever singer on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Katrina. Tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm Katrina Jackson. I've been in pollution prevention and sustainability programs for a little over 20, 25 years. I started my career managing hazardous materials and hazardous waste, which really brought to light um, the issue that we have in sustainability and pollution prevention. Essentially, just not poisoning ourselves with our own uh, success. <laughs> and I have ever since then made sure that I've gotten into every course um, every opportunity to learn more and to contribute to sustainability and pollution prevention, particularly where it um, meets the reduction of toxic chemicals, uh, making sure that forever chemicals are never produced again. Um, these are definitely topics that are near and dear. And now with this push, greater push for really standardized sustainability reporting and kind of holding everybody accountable, I'm excited to be a part of that conversation. Um, I've just finished a class with with Stanford University on sustainability strategies for business, and I'm currently at Johns Hopkins um, in a renewable energy program for a master's. Great intro. So a, a good, I don't know about you, Langdon, but I think a, a good starting point might be, because again, we've got, we have all sorts of people listening to the podcast um, in terms of their experience and their background. So if, if we take it right back to basics, what, what do we actually mean by CSRD? So CSRD is Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. It's essentially a standardized reporting guideline um, regulation. Now, this is a law, but it's a guide to let companies know exactly how they're going to report their sustainability um, data. It's going to say, instead of this is the suggested format, this is what you will actually report. This is what we expect to see across industries, across businesses and enterprises. This is how we expect to see the sustainability information reported and scrutinized. And, and which, which businesses and, and which regions does that affect, Katrina? Oh, it's so it's a good question. So NFRD was more, was the very first of this type of regulation. So this started in the UK, well, in Europe. So European companies were the first to have this type of sustainability reporting regulation. I want to say that NFRD, um, which is non-financial reporting disclosures uh, directive, was implemented just a few years ago. Um, and so it affected maybe 10 to 12,000 businesses. Now we're looking at CSRD, which is going to affect all of the 
non-financial reporting directive businesses that were affected before, plus additional businesses. So around 50,000 businesses, um, it will be affected by CSRD. So right now, this is centralized in Europe because they're European reporting directive. But any companies that from the U.S. that are doing business in Europe or have um, major um, business outlets that are in Europe will also be affected. They'll also have to follow these uh, the CSRD directives. Do you? What are your thoughts on a quick quick note? I guess as it's merging, how do you see the U.S. with that applicability um, if they're doing European operations, but knowing the way we have a tendency to be a little um, polarized or whatever you want to call it, depending on the, depending on the um, who's in charge and who, who's has a majority. Do you see, how do you see this progressing potentially in the States? Do you see it being a mainly just still a, a best practice? The larger ones are going to, because they, they have to, because of the global market while the others don't have to, and that's pretty much going to stay the same. For CSRD, most American companies aren't going to feel the direct effect, um, if, especially a medium-sized company. Larger to medium-sized companies may not feel the direct request until 2027 or 2028, unless they do have direct operations in Europe. Where I, What I see happening in our country is that states are taking it upon themselves to enact their own legislation to move forward. So they're not waiting for a change in political dominance. They're not waiting for a particular person to take office. What they're saying is this is important to our state. This is important to our economic um, growth that we're going to you know, enact our own law. So we see that with California with SB 253. Um, that's their climate corporate data accounting law that they've now introduced and passed. Um, we see that now with the car in a, this Energy Innovation Carbon Act, which was also introduced in California um, by Representative Carbajal, which says we're going to actually tax or we're going to charge polluters. So it's a, a carbon charge, actually. So they're going to charge you for your carbon output and then give it back to the American people as a tax rebate, like directly back as a tax rebate. So we're kind of seeing people just sort of take initiative outside of having one unifying standard in, in order to be competitive and really address these issues. Is, is it me or is, is, is it always California that goes first? <laughs> I know, I know. First, they don't want to be poisoned. They don't want to be poisoned. They don't want your poison. They are, you know, you can grow your business. You know, you can make money here, but what you will not do, what you will not do is make me smell your dirty air. <laughs> and you, you've got to appreciate that. In in California's, which I will not do very often, defense, there are certain parts of California that really need a lot of a lot of assistance from a climate aspect, um, a lot of pollution, and I mean not just localized to the cities, but there is California is going to always be the and then Oregon and then Washington. They like they're going to be some of the more. Um, I don't know what you want. I mean, typically liberal, but also I think progressive on stuff like this as well, whatever it is, honestly, regulatory, anything. 
I think a lot more states are going to get progressive because sustainable energy makes money. So now it's going to move into the capitalistic side where it's like, well, this behooves us to do because it's actually profitable and creates jobs. I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? Sorry, I was going to say, is that is that recognition, isn't it, that actually like like safety, actually safety is is a requirement to do business now for a lot of organisations, isn't it? So actually, it's something we've got to do. Um, mm-hmm. Langdon, I jumped over you, but I've got one other question, so I'm going to I'm going to push on. Um, which was, he's, he's pulling his face for those who are just listening now. He's pulling the Langdon face. Um, <laughs> but my other question is, is, is okay, CSRD, CSRD. What do people actually need to do, Katrina? How's it changed things for an organisation? Oh, such a good question. So CSRD was actually developed with EFRAG, which is your European. Um, financial reporting advisory groups, a lot of letters. <laughs> and so they created the standards. So we, there are 12 standards, essentially. So you still have the same environmental, social, and governance, um, but they're just broken out. Um, with CSRD, what's new, though, is that you have this concept of double materiality. So not only are we looking at impact, we're also looking at financial impact. So stop a minute there, because you use some jargon, Katrina. So I'm going to stop you there. What do we mean by materiality? Darn! <laughs> so when we talk about materiality, we're talking about a material topic, anything that a stakeholder would consider important for them to know before they invest in a company, a material topic. So if you have environmental compliance issues, if you have any, anything that's material, if you're investing in a business, what you would want to know about that company, what they would report to you that would um, it impact whether or not you invested in that company. So it's a material topic. So material topics would definitely be the environmental compliance, anything that they needed to do environmental compliance wise, any, any governance that they had to be subject to, whether state, federal, for European guidelines, country guidelines. So any of the governance, um, worker safety, um, their supply chain, how are they getting products, how are they treating their workers, how are they treating travel, um, all of those things are material topics when you can look at a company. How are you making your money and are you making your money in a way that's responsible to your community? What uh, well, I'm interested in as we, because uh, I want to continue down that, I think expanding on it, what Jules asked a moment ago, <clears throat> but just for a little enlightening, because realistically i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of a lot of people listening that aren't as well versed i mean i'm not as well versed into many aspects of this but if we look back and think like the last whatever 10 15 years you know we had sustainability then we had circular economy now esg and then the csr uh csrd aspect what do we what what is it What's the difference and what, where are we now? Just to try to help paint that. Cause I think we've tried, you know, right. What was it? Maybe in my past experience with an organization, we started, you know, that was when they were reporting to, what was it? Uh, Carbon Disclosure Act or whatever. Um, CDP. I think CDP. They, yeah. We, we were doing some of that um, and helping utilize uh, systems. So you started seeing health and safety was being incorporated with that more so but then it kind of went to the wayside a little bit again and now it's back but it seems like it's getting a lot more traction so what maybe what are some differences and and what's 
where are we now? What is it? The emergency is our emissions. So when we look at what we're putting out as far as emissions, um, there has to be a change because we're moving towards greater warming for our atmosphere. And as that warming occurs, some catastrophic climate events can happen, um, like flooding, um, intense weather events, dramatic changes in temperature, um, disruption to our energy output, um, disruption to food, you know, sources. And so the emergency is that now we have this mandate. Everyone got together at the Paris Agreement and said, we are going to have zero emissions by 2050. That's that's the goal. 1.5 degrees. We're not going to go beyond 1.5 degrees in global warming. And we're going to have zero emissions by 2050. In order for that to happen, several things have to occur. Everyone has to be on the same page, which means everybody should be reporting the same things in the same way to the same people. <laughs> so before that, I'm glad you brought up sustainability reporting. There were no metrics. So there wasn't really a numerical guideline, a numerical standard. There weren't metric standards. You could just say, this is what I'm trying to do to be better. <laughs> and that was good enough. You could say, we're a sustainable company. We're doing the best we can. But with CSRD and um, really, as we move to greater metric reporting and ESG reporting even, because CSRD just improves ESG because it gives actual metrics and standards that everybody will adhere to, it says not only do you have to, not only when you say you're sustainable, you have to prove it. You have to show concrete steps. You have to show concrete, <laughs> bless you. Um, you have to show concrete data that the, that the changes that you've made are sustainable and are in keeping with the claims that you're making. So now you can get out there and just say, we're a green company and we're amazing and we're awesome. And everybody's like, hmm, <laughs> having paper cups is not enough. <laughs> what do you see, I guess with that, do you see it potentially, they've all seemed like had a course, ran it and then stopped a little bit. How do we utilize this when we start trying to actually integrate it in business operation? Because there's going to be a lot of health and safety. Like we have enough. We don't need to incorporate this for me and my business, but thinking, or me and my role, excuse me, not business, but thinking about it from that, because right, you know, true sustainability or, you know, whatever, that's not just you know, yes, it's caring for the environment, caring for all that, but it's also caring for people. So it's a, it is a big picture. And you hit on that earlier. I think that's, to me, that's kind of that ultimate bringing it home is it's, it's hitting in multifaceted, you know, avenues, not just the environment or whatnot. You're being so positive about this. I'm, my, I'm, my heart is warm. <laughs> I did not expect this. I'm like, what? <laughs> like this being so positive. I'm not trying to kill trees. Okay, let's let's just paint that out. You're making me sound terrible over here. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to cut trees. That's the whole point. Yes, you're not supposed to cut trees. But as a bit, so I think it's going to look different where depending on where you are. In Europe, there is a organized plan of action that you must. So they have regulations. So it's compliance level. You must. You must do these things. Your report must look this way. You must report this data. Whereas in North America, what we're going to see is that um, companies are just 
going to start collecting data. And that is the smartest thing that you can do from the business side in North America is to say, you know what, maybe it will come, maybe it won't, I don't know. Start collecting data, create benchmarks for yourself is what I would suggest. Um, and, And what most experts in this space say, you know, start collecting data. If you're doing nothing else, start collecting that environmental data, start thinking about ways you can collect that usage data um, for scope one and scope two. So what you burn and what you buy, just start collecting that usage data, start collecting data on your employees, how you travel, your supply chain, just start collecting that data and start thinking about the resources that you need and the communication plans and internal teams you need to organize that data. How do you see, and I think that's good. How does it become though, not a, there, this is going to be my negative spin for you. Oh gosh, I knew it was coming. I know know where he's going to come from here. You you will see where I'm going. You'll be okay with it. How do we make this not a, not a financial burden, but good business from the standpoint of, you know, when you, when you look a lot now, if you purchase an airline, I'm just going to use this as a quick example. There's a lot more to it. So. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be patient. Listeners, please don't be like, you know, but you look now and it can tell how much carbon you burn. If you do, if you buy a flight or whatever, how do we make it a financial, not make it a financial burden while also being fair? Because, you know, some of it, they're talking about some of the stringency, if you are allowed so much carbon to burn. I mean, that's like one big flight, for example, how do we maximize it without, and, and I'm not sure you can say, you know, I'm this, I'm really throwing you on the spot here. Sorry. But how does it not become a financial burden? Because some of those, then if they start burning through their credits or allotments or whatever you want to call it, then they either stop operation or they're going to figure out other means to get that. So how can we maximize it where it's not hurting more than, you see what I mean? I I do, I do. And there's this saying that we have here that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think as we, so environmental compliance, the same arguments were made um, that it's a financial burden, like that I have to monitor my pollutants, that I have to report and, and make an effort to make sure that I'm under the maximum amount allowed. There was a, there was an argument <laughs> made that that was a finan- Yes, it's a financial burden and it's a necessary one. It's a necessary one. So to some degree, yes, this will be a change in how you, you use your resources, but it's a necessary one. But I also say that in the midst of that, a lot of innovation will occur. Sure. Because where we have to spend our money, our attention will be, and we will make every effort to innovate. Um, electric cars are a perfect example. Um, shale gas um, production is another great example. So I don't know if you know the history of shale gas production in North America. Um, hydraulic fracturing was not you know, feasible. It was expensive. It was difficult to get um, to actually get to the gas underneath all the shale and geologic formations. And we innovated to get to that gas. <laughs> It's still not the best in the environment. Don't think that I'm pro shell gas or hydraulic fracking. Please don't think I'm I'm pro fracking. But we got we had a lot of innovation occur that made it um, really inexpensive to get to that shell gas. And now we have an overproduction. We're actually exporting gas for the first time in like I think 50 years from the U.S. So the cost they saw the benefit, so the innovation occurred. 
the same thing with electric vehicles. At first, it was really expensive to get a Tesla. Do you remember? It's like Tesla. Oh my gosh, you, you look like fabulous rolling up to Tesla. I mean, ignore the, <laughs> the sustainability part. It was just a fabulous car. Same way with the Prius, man. And now they're manufacturing them for like $20,000. So necessity is the mother of invention. So once we see this is a problem, like taking a flight uses up if we ever get to that, I think we're a long way from like each individual being assigned a carbon uh, account and saying you're, these are your, you know, these are your deficits and this is what you have left. I think we're uh, we can't even get to that point right now for a bigger company. So I'm just going to say we're a little far from that. But when we do, there will be enough innovation that occurs to meet that um, need, to meet that concern, because that's that's where all the money is right now is in innovation, um, particularly technological innovations to reduce our carbon. Um, output and reduce those emissions. Katrina, you, Langdon will tell you this. If anybody, if, if an American ever comes on this podcast and, and uses the word vehicle, I do ask them to repeat themselves because I do love the way you say it. Vehicle? <laughs> really? How is it different? He's smiling. He's very different, Katrina. But Katrina, just coming back to your point, I, th- I, think, I think it's great. I think the innovation, when you see the innovation that's happened very quickly over a short period of time it's exciting um, it is. i do have to say i'm still quite circumspect about the use of an electric car in january in chicago because i think the battery life might be quite interesting and then you have to spend thirty thousand to get a new one necessity is the mother of invention and battery innovations are up absolutely absolutely and i think i like a ram <laughs> yeah, Lang- Langdon drives a big gasoline truck at the moment, so <laughs> um, so he's used his carbon credits so. up. Yes, you have. Your carbon credits are gone. But I think I think again, it's it's really important, isn't it? That it's, and it's exactly the same with health and safety. Is that we don't forget that actually businesses have to be pragmatic. Businesses are there to actually do what they do and to make a profit, because otherwise they wouldn't be surviving. So. It's like you say; they've got to look at look at it and say, right, how do we actually do this? But how do we how do we fit it in alongside our normal business activities? And 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 Langdon's point, so that it doesn't become some kind of major financial burden. You can maybe you you can maybe demystify something for me because I've never quite got my head around this. Um, how do people buy carbon credits? How do we? How do we be a dirty business, but we can spend money that then almost legitimizes our our emissions and outputs? Oh, that's such a good... So there are carbon markets, so you can purchase carbon credits. Um, Billy's not using all his. I can get some of his. (laughs) (laughs) She's laughing. She knows it's true. (laughs) Don't give them any. Don't give them angels. But you can purchase carbon credits. And so... That's another profit center um, because let's say there's a business that grows trees um, or a rainforest, uh, you know, a nonprofit that has, you know, lots of rainforest acreage um, or, or other similar type businesses or organizations can sell you their carpet, can give you carbon credits um, because they're, you know, they're in the opposite direction, right? They're not emitting you know, they're helping so they can give you the polluter carbon credits. Now, this is going to be expensive for you. I mean, how long you want to keep this up? You know, do you want to just keep buying carbon credits and not change your business processes? Or I would like to think of it as a way to give you time to transition. That's what I would like to think. 
where you're saying, okay, we've got to change what we're doing, but in the meantime, we're at least going to put our money into increasing the size of our forests. We're going to put our money to, um, you know, these environmental efforts that are going to help the planet as a whole while we work to transition some of our um, greater issues within our, our processes. So, so in effect, it's a tax, isn't it? It's basically a tax. Carry, carry on being dirty, but you're going to pay a tax to, to do it. And people hate that. Yeah, people don't like taxes. People don't like a carbon tax. Um, the Innovation Act is unique because even though it charges you for the carbon that you output, so not, you know, it just says, this is what we're charging you for your carbon. We get it back, you know, as a rebate. So people are going to love that. Like, please pollute so we can get money from you. Um, but businesses will not like that. And they will definitely change their processes. They're going to change what they're using. They're going to really rethink. And I really think a lot of this is about rethinking how you've done business up to this point. You know, we we can be very stuck in our ways and think that there's only one way to make money, but that's not true. As we've seen, you know, we've seen innovations in, in businesses and that profit center, that profit structure. There's lots of ways to make money. You don't have to, you know, pollute waterways in the sky to do it. There's lots of ways to make money. You can improve your processes so that it can be kind for your pocket and for your community. You can, you can do that. And I think to me, that's, that's the important thing, right? It's, we have a tendency, I think as humans to try to do and be as um, innovative or whatever you want to call it as, as we can while in theory, trying to do good within money gets involved in <laughs> There's a whole, you know, <laughs> for, for certain people, there, there's a reason that there is the, you know, money can be the root of all evil. Because realistically, you, you look at how I think, you know, going through the ages, I mean, a lot is tied to power, money, things like that. And you you look at even the foundation of, you know, we, we talked before, you know, whether it's ASSP, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, some of those things. I mean, those are people who were very innovative in business, what they were doing. And then they decided to be powerful, quote unquote, or whatever, to try to continue achieving that. So we had to almost take a step back to be cognizant of, we have to put people on what's really important first. And I think same way with, to me, same way with this, we've, we jumped the gun and then started looking at, we're not actually doing some things as smart as we could have done it. So now we have to go backwards in order to go forwards. And that's, I mean, we did it with health and safety. And I think realistically, we've, we've done it with this, you know, um, foundation of the EPA, same, same reasoning. I mean, it, you know, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. And from a geopolitical point of view too, I mean, nobody wants to be dependent on fossil fuels from Russia. Nobody wants to be dependent on fossil fuels from Saudi Arabia um, if you don't have to be. So and we saw that with, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and which would have really driven up gas prices, um, energy prices. And I'm just going to say energy prices um, globally. But because we had already started to move to these renewable energy resources and we had already kind of started to move away just a little bit from so much uh, use of gas and oil, it did not impact us as much as it could have. And world leaders saw that. World leaders saw that. So that's another way that they're beginning to see the profit in renewable energy and renewable resources. 
I think that's a really interesting point as well, isn't it? That that you look at what's happened in such a short period of time with we've got the thing that Langdon hates to mention, which is COVID. Um, we've we've got obviously political and uh, unrest across parts of the globe um and it's it's actually made the the world wake up a bit in terms of actually how do we do business and and i think particularly things like supply chains what what is the the sort of real sustainable impact of of actually bringing goods across the world i mean i i always think about food you think about food that we 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 no longer have seasons in terms of the food that we eat and consume. Right. We, we get it whenever we want it at any time of the year. Yeah. But there's a sustainable impact or there's a there's an environmental impact of us doing that, isn't there? That we're flying flying fruit across the world. Who would have ever thought that? Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> um so I think I think actually it, it's really good that this is starting to make us just reconsider maybe some of the things that we do, some of the habits we've got, and actually, do we need to do we need to keep doing things the way that that we've been doing it for the past few years? Yeah, and I think absolutely. Yeah, one of the most important things for me that I've just realised doing this podcast is actually I can Langman can carry on driving his Dodge Ram and I can sell him carbon credits because I'm driving a nice little mild petrol hybrid. There you go. There you go. He just owes you perpetually. When you when you drive that mild petrol hybrid the way he does, he defeats any benefits of a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> it's the intent. It's the intent. It's the intent. Is it for sure that's I think I think Langdon, you made a great point though, which is 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 I think the sustainability, the environmental side of things is almost following health and safety where people almost paid lip service to it for a long, long time. And then gradually the, the recognition has come in and the whole perception of safety and the way that we do safety is, is changed. And I think environmental and sustainability is following suit, isn't it? Yeah. I remember when I first started work, my first safety administrator position, and I remember him saying um, that it was a cost center, you know, we don't make money. We're a cost center. It kind of sort of put me in my place, you know, as I'm asking for PPE, heaven forbid, <laughs> and pens for training. You're costing him, Katrina. Yeah, he was like, well, you're a cost center. And I was like, yeah, it could cost you a lot if you don't pay attention to this center. <laughs> don't come in here bothering important people who are making money with your safety. I'm like, what? Did you just, as you all know. You out there, you in audience land don't know, but Katrina's not to be trifled with. <laughs> I, I can, I think Langdon and myself can absolutely confirm that last point. So, <laughs> um, well, I suppose one other, one other thing, go on, oh, like, no, sorry, Joe, I was, I was just going to say kind of the for, and we've hit on it, I think, a lot, but if you had a couple of liners for, for a, a health and safety professional who's not managing it while also, I think for the those sustainability or the you know whatever ESG CSRD person who's managing that, how do we come together for that? I think why does it ultimately, from a health and safety perspective, matter for them in doing their job as well? And how can how can we make that more more of a value integrated with it? Does that make sense? So I I think for environmental health and safety person, first is a recognition that you can't do it all alone. 
And so if you're being asked to also, also take up sustainability reporting, the first thing is, what are the resources available to me to accomplish this additional task? What are the resources? Because when we look at sustainability data, we're looking at HR data. We're looking at corporate compliance data. We're looking at um, supply chain data and also environmental compliance data and also state, federal and local regulations for environmental compliance. And all like there's there's a lot of and also and also and also financial data. So you're looking at all of these different departments within your organization. So it once you know, or if you're also tasked with sustainability, ask about those resources, but to bring it home and to say, okay, why should this matter if I'm an environmental health and safety person is that start collecting that data and so that you can show efficiencies too, or where efficiencies can be, you know, can be gained within your organization, because maybe it'll be a raise for you. I'm not going to promise But if you could show efficiencies that can happen because of sustainability, because you've had this task and you can show usage and we're just applying some maybe engineering controls, um, maybe turning off the light, like super easy one, you know, having engineering controls to just turn off lights in buildings that aren't being used during certain um, parts of the day or week. Um, These are opportunities for cost efficiencies and cost savings that then can be passed on to other areas of the business. And this sort of justifies the entire procedure itself. It, it justifies it. So if you're environmental health and safety and, and just as an encouragement, all of the things that you do, they matter. All of the things, you're not a cost center. <laughs> you're important. You're keeping people safe every day. And I, I also remember, you know, I don't know if you, you remember Langan reading about the history of environmental health and safety and, you know, people who, I mean, the devastation devastations that occurred. People were burned, um, locked into um, warehouses. They couldn't get out and fires, you know, all of these things that happened, which has brought us to where we are. Keeping people safe did not cost money at the end of the day. Keeping people safe was not what cost money. Your mindset is what cost you. So we've got to start thinking differently about the, the same way we started to think differently about safety we have to start thinking differently about sustainability and how we use our resources and how our processes can be better. We have to start thinking differently the same way. We made that move and that said worker safety is important because, yes, it, it does save money and it does decrease the reputational risk that we have when someone dies on our, you know, at our business. The same thing. We have to start thinking differently. Well, and that's a really good point because we... We have a, especially here in the States, we have a tendency to make things so political and, and even our political regimes do the same, you know, I mean, no matter it's people ruin good things and good opportunities. And I think this is one of those that has become so polarized because of the political climate. And if you really take a step back, you're like, I wish you almost wish, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you almost wish everybody could just take a step back, you know, start fresh everyone just be central and let's use some common sense i don't care if you're liberal if you're conservative republican Democrat, it doesn't matter just use some common sense across the, you know this is a broad hey i'm bringing it home but also for this topic don't polarize it let's no matter how we view it okay maybe it is more of a you know whatever perspective but there are things we could still be smarter about and i to me that's that's the unfortunate aspect of of this. 
Because I don't care what party you are, you want clean water. I mean, at the, you, you don't want to flood in your house. So it doesn't really matter. But we've also incentivized fossil fuel use, you know, with your Ram truck. <laughs> All of the electrical appliances, that's incentivizing. That's incentivizing energy use. Um, we've provided tax rebates. We've given money to fossil fuel industry to encourage them to produce more oil and gas for us. So we, we have to kind of, st- and, and they've donated a lot of money to all of the political parties, got to pay for those campaigns somehow <laughs> to make sure that they continue to yeah. be incentivized. And even in the energy transition, you know, they're saying we're necessary as a part of the transition. And to some degree, if we want energy, um, we, we just want to make sure that there is energy for the least, you know, just to make sure that we're confident that we can supply the, the amount of energy that we need. Um, there is some fossil fuels that are going to have to be used during that time, but I don't think it's as much as they're hoping or would like to see. Um, but we just have to stop incentivizing um, the use of fossil fuels and start incentivizing, you know, these renewable resource use. Great points. I think one thing I was going to, I wanted to just talk about quickly before we end is again, another alignment with, with safety, Katrina, and we talked about it when we were thinking about doing this, was was actually the approach. So we we talked about plan, do, check, and act, didn't we? And and actually, similar kind of approach to to safety, isn't it? it there's not a great deal of difference in terms of the way that we want to do this. Mm-mm. ISO standards have just, I tell you, they have survived the test of time, haven't they? <laughs> I remember being a lead auditor. It's like. I don't know, 20 years ago, and we're doing like the same thing. They have really stood the test of time. When I look at GRI standards, so GRI um, and TCFD, these are sustainability standards. They're common sustainability standards um, that you can use it. They're volunteer, you know, you you don't have to do it. It's voluntary use. Um, But they build on ISO standards. They really do. Same plan, do, check, act. It's not about you have to meet this particular metric. It's really about improvement. And the same thing with ISO standards. Yeah. And sustainability is a great way to think about it. It It's not about meeting a specific metric, unless you're terrible. (laughs) I don't know what that is, though. But really, it's about improvement and being able to celebrate those incremental moves. Um, Did you guys see the Apple sustainability report it's a video with mother earth oh, mother nature you have to see it you have to see it you have to see it Wait. mother earth and mother nature it's yes, really I good have. yes i have because every you did I, see I, it I'll tell you why, and i'll tell you what made me think about it everybody comments that are coming back from that being like apple is one to talk <laughs> i, I know <laughs> like they have a but history it's of, but they're talking about improvements. Okay. They're talking about improvements, which they could do, but it was really good with Octavia Spencer. It was really, it was really clever. It was clever, but yeah, they didn't give a lot of metrics. It was a lot of production. And I think <laughs> if you don't have a lot of metrics and uh, having showmanship helps. Was it maybe ticking some boxes, Katrina? So. It ticks some boxes, but it left some unticked. I think, I think though, you, you make a really important point, though. You know about that the whole continuous improvement piece, which is we're not going to get to net zero in, in 2050 in one jump, are we? Um, and it follows so much of what we've talked around with safety, which is the whole sort of marginal gain piece, which is, is, is sort of just continually looking at what are the sometimes the small things that we can do as an organisation 
to get better at this. Um, and I suppose the other part of Plan Do Check Act is that that sort of cycle approach is that maybe maybe you do need to go back and, and recheck some of your processes and say, right, do we have to do this in the same way? Mm-hmm. I was talking to an organisation not so long ago who do parts washers. So for those who don't know, if you think about in, in a garage or, or, or a mechanic, when they have to take a part out of a car and it's maybe covered in oil, they've got to clean it. It's actually, that always used to be done with sort of fairly aggressive chemicals. Now they're trying to do it with environmentally sort of friendly chemicals, sort of solutions that can be used that aren't going to have as big an effect. So it's looking at all your different processes isn't it, to say, right, how can we do something differently and in a more sustainable way? And Langdon, I am conscious of the time because it's always the same when we get Katrina on with us, isn't it? We could just talk forever, and I'm conscious we are running short of time. I suppose, Katrina, can we wrap up with with maybe two or three really simple points that people can consider as, as a part of starting this journey, things that they should be thinking about? I think from I'm going to do it from a personal level. Start thinking about as you live your life, and you're making choices and decisions, how can they be more sustainable? What is your true carbon footprint? Maybe going to some websites, take a look at your carbon footprint and just seeing some simple things some simple changes that you can make at your home or at your office to be a little bit more sustainable as an individual. As a part of your organization, maybe ask questions as you're going about your, you know, your work, your activity, your tasks. How could this be better? What data can I help to collect that can maybe make this process more sustainable, maybe save money? That would be amazing. And as a larger organization, maybe as a leadership of an organization, start collecting data now to create benchmarks so that you can see where changes can be made, start to make them, and then compare. Then be able to go back and compare and really have a business case for larger changes later. I think as well, Langer, I was going to finish with one point because people often talk about electric vehicles, but somebody said the other day, and I saw this point the other day, and I thought, actually, that's a really great point, is the most environmentally friendly thing you can do with a car is actually not go and buy a new one at the moment, isn't it? Because actually you think about the the energy into manufacturing a new car, actually just keeping your car for longer is one of the most sustainable things that we can do. Um, which I thought that's a, it's a, it's a great point. It's true. That's true. Which is why Apple started making sure that, you know, the phone companies make sure their phones last longer because. Because we got into this crazy cycle, didn't we? With, with, and phones is the best example where, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to market you every year. So you feel like you've got to go and buy a new one. Yeah. Right. And where are the, where are these parts going? Where are these batteries going? Where are these pieces going? Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Langdon, I'm going, to, I'm going to let you wrap us up because you do it so well. Oh, thanks, Jules. Well, Katrina, we appreciate you. We pre- no, no, no. I, I mean, I could, but no. We Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Um, and for all you out there, as you go about your days and go about your lives, remember, if you leave the room last and the light's still on, maybe turn it off because ultimately what you're doing is watching each other's back out there. Everyone, as you're going out, watch each other's back, turn the light off, turn the air up or down, depending on where you are, kind of, you know. But we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, everyone. 
Everyone, really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back.